we are drawing to a close. Next week, we're wrapping up with, with one last uh, part of the series that we've been busy with for the last few weeks. So I do want to just uh, give you a bit of a heads up. Those of you that might be visiting with us for the first time, you can go and catch up on some of the previous messages from this series um, because each one is kind of building on the other. Not that you can't get value out of each one, but, but we're trying to kind of build one layer upon another upon another as we, we kind of looked at the first week in terms of our desires. Like, do we actually want to change? Do we want growth? The week after that, we looked at the theme or the series, uh, kind of like what we are emphasizing this year with this idea of actually asking God for even more, like in the best way possible. So even more in our relationships, even more in, in the impact that we have on the lives around us, even more peace, even more joy. Um, but then, of course, we, we have to order our lives in such a way that we can actually access the power that I believe God wants to give to us. Um, and I do want to be very clear right up front that, that there is so much, I believe, so this is my personal opinion, is that there is an enormous amount of wisdom and um, affirmation to be found from researchers and secular sources. Uh, I think that in many ways, people are kind of catching up with the truth that the Bible declares, and it's helping us to actually understand why uh, some of these truths are so important. So, so science is explaining better and better as we move on how renewing the mind really does change our lives. Um, research and science is showing us that, that willpower is limited and that we actually need to order our lives in a certain way because the things we do do something to us. Um, I want to take a look at an idea in a moment that, again, builds on that and, and kind of continues to emphasize that. But just to kind of take you back a little bit, I don't know if any of you got stuck during COVID watching series, documentaries, things like that online. Okay, there are a whole bunch of you that are not willing to be honest right now, right? I... I I remember in particular getting quite fixated with, with certain sports documentaries, and um, I think like many people, I, I kind of came alive to Formula One for the first time watching Drive to Survive. Anyone watch Drive to Survive? Um, I can't endorse it because of the language, but yes, like, I enjoyed Drive to Survive, and that got me really hooked. And, and it was quite interesting to me just how much goes on behind the scenes and all the drama and the stories and, and the training. Like, I just thought these guys drive cars, you know? Then you realize just how much training goes into it, how, much, how, much, how fit they have to be. The, I mean, how many kil kilograms do they lose in a race? Three to four kilograms that they will lose in a race. That's how much they are sweating and having to exert themselves. So it's, it's pretty intense. Um, anyone watch uh, the Chasing the Sun documentary about our rugby winning, you know, our World Cup rugby winning uh, team? Like, again, you just realize how much you don't see that goes into preparing for the short bit that we do see. Right? Maybe, maybe you've watched uh, the documentary on, on tennis which I'm guessing not too many people are excited about, called Breakpoint. But again, you, you kind of get to see the, the, the training, the practicing. If you watched the movie a couple of years ago um, about the Williams sisters and you realize just how much training and effort goes into their craft from a really, really young age. Like you, they live and breathe this thing, even though, they, even though for many people playing these matches, they lose. Like how would you like to do a job where you lose most of the time? But, that, but that's how you're having to then tweak and adjust and train. Um, I watched a documentary a little while ago called, I think it's called Johnny Football, um, where again, I was struck by the gifting and the talent of this man. I know for most of us, the idea of NFL and, and how that 
connects is is a little bit complex, but but basically he was he was this standout high school player f- from around the country, and and just did a phenomenal job, and then was recruited to a university where he helped bring in millions upon millions upon millions of dollars into the university in his first year or year and a bit. In fact, I think that they were going to build, I'm moving to correction, something like a, it was a, it was a multiple hundred million dollar stadium in large part because of the attention that he brought into the sport, into their particular uh, university. Um, so just, just phenomenal. He didn't like the fact that he wasn't getting any of the money, so he started doing some stuff on the side where he started signing autographs and getting paid a whole bunch of money. And then he landed up leaving university early in order to go pro so that he can earn more. But when he went pro, by this stage, some of his personal life had become apparent to the teams that were recruiting. And instead of being like a first or second draft pick, which is what he had the ability to be chosen for... Um, he landed up going much, much later and then wasn't put on to play to begin with, but had to now form part of a professional team. And he was very slack with practices and he didn't watch any of the game footage that he needed to each week in order to study the, the opponent, study the team. Um, if you'd catch a flight and go partying in Vegas and he'd like realize, oh, I'm going to miss the flight, it's okay, let's just party harder. And then he'll just miss the game the next day. Um, to my knowledge, my understanding is that, is that many of the experts considered him to have been one of the most talented people, high potential players in the country in many, many, many years. But because he was unwilling to train, because he relied a little bit too much on his gifting and what he, what he wanted to be able to do on game day, ultimately his life imploded. And he hasn't, he hasn't caught, I mean, He's in, the, he's in the Hall of Fame of the university that he played at for a short while, but his life is not great. And it wasn't about his gifting. It wasn't about what he had been able to do as a teenager. It was about his training. Malcolm Gladwell, in his book, The Tipping Point, kind of probably popularized this idea that I think research has shown from many different sources around how for someone to become really good at something, like an expert at something, they have to, they have to commit to what they call the 10,000-hour rule. So, so it's, you know, if you're going to be playing the violin, which I, I love the finished product, I don't know how any parent endures the preparation product, because, I mean, I'm just saying any, any string, pretty much any instrument just sounds horrible until you've, you know, really become quite well-versed in this thing. Um, but, but if you're going to be an expert, you pretty much got to put in a 10,000-hour rule. You've got to be... They were practicing. The, the people that are playing in the orchestras were practicing for three or four hours a day, five, six, seven days a week from young. And it's only after that muscle memory and that, and that tweaking and that expert level was achieved, it was the preparation, it was the training that went into their ability to perform when it was necessary. Way too often, we hope that our hopes will be enough. We hope that our intentions will be enough. And, and it's not that they're not important. They are. That's why I asked the question in the first week whether or not we want to. And last week we took a look at who we are wanting to become. Because if we don't have a North Star, if we don't have something that we are aiming at, the kind of person that we want to be, the, if we're not reviewing the trajectory that we're on and who God has actually destined us to be, well, th- there is going to be nothing to be disciplined towards. So, so the intention is important. A hope is, especially a biblical hope, is desperately important. But it's not enough. 
We need to order our lives. We need to train. It is about training, and it is about training consistently. Training and training consistently. If we want to change, if we believe that God is able to do even more in our lives as we order our lives, if we want to become the people that he has called us to become, it is going to take training, not just trying. It's going to take being consistent, not being occasional. That's not saying that you have to be perfect, but there is a level of persistence. There's a level of consistency that goes into building the kind of life that God, I believe, has actually destined for us to become. Glenn and Holly Packham in their book, The Intentional Year, wrote the following around this idea. Athletes can't control the outcome of a game or even their own performance. Think about that for a moment. But they can control their preparation. That's why so many athletes set goals around practice routines rather than performance outcomes. They can't control the outcome of the game or even necessarily their own performance, but they can control their preparation. And that is why so many professional athletes will have goals around their practice rather than just the outcome. It is about training consistently and intentionally. And this is all just catching up to, to basically reinforce, to reassure what the Bible says. We read in Galatians 6, verse 7 to 9, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, you put in the preparation, you'll get the eventual outcome. You train consistently, you'll see a result eventually in your personal life, in your career, in your character, in your relationships. Verse eight, whoever sows to please the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Here are three key ideas. These are not new. These are probably not terribly profound, but I think that in the face of discouragement, we need to be reminded of these three very, 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 very simple ideas. That is that we reap what we sow, we reap more than we sow, and we reap after we sow. I am convinced to my bones that not only are we trying to push back against our emotional habits, our physical habits, our psychological habits, the environments we've grown up in, the, 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 the narratives that, that we believe, like just in the natural, there's, there's stuff that we have to push through. And that's why it's so easy to be discouraged when we don't see the results we want to, when we want to. But then you add another dynamic to it, and that is that we have a spiritual enemy. We have a spiritual enemy who actually, so the English versions of the Bible don't, 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 don't I think, accurately enough portray what the original language refers to when he's referred to as Satan or the devil. It, the, the original language is actually referring to the accuser, the deceiver. His primary stratagem against us is to deceive us, and the most powerful lies are the ones that are mostly true. So when you fail at something, when, you, when you've given up again, when, you, when you've made the same mistake for the thousandth time, there's a lot of truth in, oh, you see, it's never... You've failed so much, you've tried so many times, well, there's truth in that, but then there's just that tiny little extra of, you can never break free from this, or you can never be that kind of person. You can never be who you think you're supposed to be. 
There can be 90% truth, but there's just that extra little 10% that actually is the death blow. And whereas we do need to be, uh, we, need, we need to have a healthy self-awareness, we need to be very careful that we don't allow the enemy to lie to us and to, and to so thoroughly discourage us with shame and condemnation that we give up trying, that we give up training, that we, that we forget that we reap what we sow, more than we sow, and after we sow. Let's unpack that very quickly. Number one, you reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived, God cannot be knocked. A man reaps what he sows. So again, the question for us is, what are we wanting? What do I want and is what I want what I'm sowing towards? Because I'm mocking God if I sow towards something else, but then I'm disappointed and angry at him when I'm not reaping what I want. But, but I'm mocking him saying I can sow something different and then get angry at him for not reaping something different. For some of us, we need to ask ourselves the question, what do we need to start? What do we need to stop? Maybe, maybe there is something that, and it could be subtle, it can be so small. I think it's often the tiny things that we just, that we just allow to carry on that over time reaps a harvest that if we're honest and objective with ourselves, we don't, that is not what we're looking for. And so unless we adjust the sowing, we're never going to change the reaping. And I do want to encourage you right up front. Okay, this isn't up front. This is in the middle. <laughs> that, that if you are experiencing a horrible harvest, you can sow new seeds and persevere long enough to outlast that harvest. So that's, again, that's where persistence is required. That's where a conviction is required. That's where hope from God is required. And it might not, be, in fact, it'll never be as quick. The things that really matter will never be as quick as we would like it to be, right? Some of you have lived long enough to know that the stuff that really matters, it's never as quick as we'd like it to be. It's not a, it's not a flash in the pan. It's not a quick fix. It's not a silver bullet. It is, it's starting and it is consistently trying to sow what we want to reap. Verse eight says, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. We reap what we sow. The New Living Translation puts that a little bit differently. It, it, it kind of unpacks in a slightly more modern context what flesh stands for. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from God. So what do you want? More importantly, what do you want most? Because we all want stuff, but we all want other stuff more. And again, we've quoted Craig Rochelle in this regard already. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. It's choosing what you want most over what you want now. You are going to want to give in to certain appetites, but but maybe we can think about it long enough to, to, to remind ourselves, no, no, but God, I want freedom more. I want peace more. I want joy more. I want a healthy marriage more. I want healthy relationships more. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to actually beat and break this pattern that's been passed on from generation to generation that I wish my father broke or I wish my mother broke. They didn't, I can either be a victim or I can say I want to break it for the next generation. And so right now I want to just give in to my desires, but actually what I want more is freedom for the generation that comes after me. What do we want versus what do we want most? 
Secondly, we reap more than we sow. This is a hectic idea. For better and for worse. Stick with me, stick with me. Okay? Again, verse 8. If we sow to please the flesh, from the flesh we'll reap destruction. But notice that, notice where it's coming from. Where's the destruction coming from? Is it coming from God? Or is it coming from the flesh? And whoever sows to please the Spirit, capital S, from the Spirit, capital S, will reap eternal life. I was listening to an interview that John McComber was doing with, I think it was David Brooks, but if you are someone that enjoys riveting, thought-provoking discussions, then make a note to go and look up Live No Lies. This was in connection to one of the books that he wrote called Live No Lies, and there were three or four interviews in this short sort of one season only podcast series that, that like, I went back to it again and again. I made notes, which I don't normally do when I'm, doing, when I'm listening to podcasts. But he made the following statement. He said, God doesn't kill sinners. Sin kills sinners. I'll explain. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What he was saying, what, what, what I was understanding him saying, and by the way, this is, this is not a flippant statement or, a, or, a, or an unkind or a cold statement. It's a flipping, sobering statement. If I feed my flesh, I will reap destruction. Sin kills sinners over time, which, by the way, is also part of the problem. If we felt an like an immediate hectic consequence to something, well, we would probably change it, right? You put your finger onto, you know, into a, well, I put my finger into a swimming pool motor, it chopped the top off. Like, I'm, I, you know what? I've never done that again. I've held on to the other nine digits. But, but it's all very slow. And then when we start reaping destruction, we... We're tempted to get mad at God. And so, and so I'm, I mean this as a, as a truth of kindness, not a truth of condemnation. I'm saying, let's feed life. Let's feed the Spirit. We will reap more than we sow. So right now, I might, I might give in to, to a certain you know, temptation or desire, whatever the case is. I, I'm not saying that that's going to cause death right there and then. I'm saying if I keep sowing to that, it, it leads to an emotional, psychological, relational, spiritual death over time. John McComer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, describes discipline this way. In other words, again, he's, this is to fall in line with the idea of reaping more than we sow. He says that a discipline is any activity I can do by direct effort now that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort. In other words, he's saying, if I do what I can do now and I keep doing that, I will eventually be able to do what I cannot right now do. The most obvious would be this idea of running a marathon. If, you, if, you, if you're unfit and have never run before, you can't do that right now, but you can go for a walk. That is something you can do right now. And over time, because we reap more than we sow, over time, if you are consistent with that, you can become the kind of person that can run a marathon. Right now, I'm teaching Taylor Grace, one of our daughters, to drive. She really, really could not drive. Nothing natural or easy about that for her to begin with. 
And so, and so for, those of you, for those of you that do drive, you don't realize just how many things you're thinking about all the time. It's just because it's so habituated into our minds. But all of a sudden, she's having to think about every single thing. And it's not just clutch control and changing gears. It's like, babe, stay between the lines. <laughs> or when we turn a corner and another car's coming, like we can't go over to the other side of the road. Like you gotta, it's like a sharp turn. Shop, 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 shop. Okay, straight, 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 straight. <sighs> okay, break. Okay, not that hard. Okay, break. No, harder. Okay. You know, it's, it's there. She couldn't drive at all like a month or two ago, but but through practicing, she is learning to drive. And by the time we allow her to be free and to start praying hard, <laughs> she will, in theory, be able to drive. So we read more than we so. Don't get discouraged when you're saying, all I'm doing is, I'm just going to gym. Like, like, I don't see any difference today. I don't feel any difference today. Or I'm just, you know, I just spend a little bit of time in prayer. I don't feel any different. No, no, if you will keep sowing. I've spent time with my family. We had dinner once this week facing each other. Nothing changed. No, no, keep creating space for FaceTime. Keep, keep walking your child to school for 12 years or driving them to school for 12. Who knows what a thousand conversations will reap one day. I promise you it'll be more than what you sow. This is a profoundly powerful statement from James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits. He says, time magnifies the margin between success and failure. It will multiply whatever you feed it. Good habits make time your ally. Bad habits make time your enemy. It magnifies the margin. Good habits will make time your ally. Bad habits will make time your enemy. But only over time. Time matters. Lastly, you reap after you sow, which again, it's like a time. Time matters. Verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Our human nature always wants it to be harvest time. Like, I get it. That's, it's okay. It's okay that that's what you want. But there is spring, summer, autumn, winter. I had to think about the order. <laughs> In my experience, Christians, especially evangelical and especially Pentecostal Christians, charismatic Pentecostal Christians, like almost want to deny that winter's even a season. Yeah. It's always just got to be springtime, baby. It's just got to be, it's got to be flowers and rainbows and, and God is good all the time, which is true, but that doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy and good and flourishing. No, no, there's, there's winter, there's spring, there's autumn. Craig Rochelle says, we overestimate what we can do or what can be done in the short run. We underestimate what can be done in the long run. So we tend to, and, and, and I've heard him talk about this in, in the context of leadership as well. He's like leaders, pastors, you guys, you, you way overestimate what you can achieve in a day or in a week or in a month or even in a year. But you underestimate what can be achieved over five years or 10 years. So here's my suggestion. Make sowing the win and release the harvest to God. 
Make sowing the win. Reading your Bible, win. Tick. Yeah, but Jason, I don't want to just tick a box. I know, but I'd rather you still tick a box than not do anything, and then three years from now wonder why you don't have a different worldview. I'd rather you force yourself to repeat a written prayer enough times until you start feeling like, uh, I want to I be a little bit more personable and, and real. Make sowing the win. Make the habit the win. Put another log on the fire or put another seed into the ground or whatever analogy you want to use. Let, like, I think way too often we idolize the end result where God's like, all I want you to do is to sow. We are, we're concerned with God's will for my life. God's like, I want you to follow my will for today. And over time, that will make a difference. What is in my control? In other words, my responsibility. Well, sowing, which is quality and consistency. That is in my control. What is out of my control is the harvest, which is quantity and timing. I don't have control over the quantity, really, but I do have control over the quality, so what I'm putting in. And the timing, that's up to God. So again, just practically speaking, James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, talks about, um, the, again, the idea of consistency and because it builds up over time, because we will reap more than what we sow and because we will reap after what we sow, not that he was quoting the Bible by any means, but, but, he, but he made this comment, if you miss once, don't miss twice. So in his context, he'd be using the example of exercising. If you, if you miss gym today, you missed it once. It's okay. Don't, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. But don't miss twice. I would say if you missed an opportunity with your family, okay, life happens. Try not to miss twice or three times or four times or five times. You, 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 those of you that got into a habit of fasting every week last year and, and things have happened and you've gotten out of that, that habit, don't be discouraged and condemned, but maybe try and build that back into your rhythm. If you go for a period without praying, just start praying again. God's way happier to have you try than what I think you think he is. So when we were singing that song earlier, and Sue prayed into that, into God's blessing and into his favor, and into may his smile be upon you. I'm praying. Like one of my most consistent prayers for you, for me, for people that I care about, is God help them to see your smile. Help them to sense your love. Help them to, help them to see you looking at them with love. It's not with destruction. God only wants to invite us towards life. So, so if, we, if you're missing stuff and you're feeling discouraged by that, God's like, come back, it's okay. Try again and again and again and again and again. Craig Rochelle again puts it this way, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. He's not saying what bad people do occasionally or what evil people, people do occasionally. He's like, just what other people, just like normal people. We all have good intentions. We do certain things occasionally, but people that are ultimately successful in that area, they do it consistently. By the way, that is why it's so important that you are clear on what that area is. Because there are people that can achieve remarkable physical feats because of their consistency and their physical training, but they are going through one relationship after another. And there's just a path of destruction behind them. It's possible to do that and to have a high value on people. Or maybe you're consistent in your career and you're achieving things. And, and in many, by the way, I think God wants 
us to be, I think he wants us to be successful. I think he wants us to be faithful and faithful leads to fruitful. He wants us to be fruitful at work, but never at the cost of what matters most, which is people and our relationships. So, so this is not a self-help message to help you take over the world. This is, this is a biblical encouragement to make sure that you are aware of what matters most and that you persevere with consistency, that we persevere with training more than trying, with, with actually trusting God with the outcomes where we do what we can and we leave the results to Him where we can't. Now, I would imagine, just I'm trying to think of different examples for us, but you know, I was thinking for parents or grandparents, sometimes you feel like, like you're trying to love, serve, discipline, bring order, whatever the case is, and you just don't feel like there's any fruit for that. I want to encourage you that there's probably nothing that's worth persevering more than those key relationships. There's nothing, just relationships full stop. So those, so those that are closest to you, and obviously our relationship with God. But, but it struck me the other day. I, so some of you know, okay. Okay, 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 okay. First of all, just a quick example, right? Many of you know that, that Micheline became part of our lives as a young teenager. Um, she didn't know how to ride a bike. Her coordination was, was really not good. We, we took a go-karting one day, and I realized when she couldn't make it more than four meters without driving straight, in, like not straight, completely off into the barrier or into the bush in that particular case, and then we, we pulled it out, drove back into the bush, pulled it out back in, until, the, until the company's like, maybe you shouldn't do this. Um, like her coordination wasn't great. So we thought, okay, um, the, the, the gross motor skills had not been developed, so we, we tried to teach her to ride a bicycle as a teenager, right? Um, and the first time she was riding the bike, it, can you imagine trying to learn to ride a bike as a teenager or young adult? Like it was hectic. She fell, it was a bit messy, uh, there was a bit of blood, etc. Anyway, over time, so again, because of perseverance, over time, a couple of years ago, we were able to do the Argus together. And, and she's just like a bull. She just puts her head down and she just, those legs just go for the, for, for the whole period. Um, which again, for me, is just an example of persevering, training, etc. But that's just physically. Emotionally, relationally, etc. It is... It has been a complex journey for her. I've mentioned before that we were the first people to ever tell her that we love you as a teenager. So never ever hearing that, right? Um, and I think on some level she kind of accepted it and took it. And we've tried to build, obviously, the best relationship that we can with her. She's turning 29 next weekend, by the way. Those of you that know Mish, tiny little Mish, she's turning 20, 29. Anyway, she, she's living in Funabella at the moment. So every time I go to Joburg, we, we spend some time together. Had dinner with her a couple of months ago. And again, just like this is natural. We'll, we tell her all the time that we love her, all the rest. And again, at, at the end, she said, Mish, love you, gave her a hug, etc. And she looks at me, she says, yeah, I think I believe it. Now, I'm like, whoa, hold on. She's been accepting it for, I guess, I mean, we probably would have met her 14, 15 years ago. It's taken until turning nearly 29 to actually start accepting because of consistency. And I just think that there are parents that want to give up because they try a few things. Like maybe, maybe you've got an estranged relationship with a teenage child or, a, or an adult child, or whatever. And, and, and of course we're tempted to give up when there's no response. Mish is terrible at communication, still to this day. 
Like, like it's hard to get hold of her. If we message, we get a reply maybe a few days later. It's easy to just go off the boil. Consistency. Just continuing to sow, sow, sow. I, I'm hoping that, that there's some people here right now where, and this has to be a God thing because this, this is not to manipulate you to try and take responsibility that you're not meant to take. I'm just saying if, if it resonates with you, maybe there's a relationship. It could be your marriage, frankly, where, you, where you're very tempted to give up. And again, there's so many different factors in this. But I just want to remind you that it is after we sow. The things that matter most never bear fruit immediately. In fact, the only things that grow without intentionality are the things you don't want. It's weeds. It's, 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 it's illness. It's, if, we don't, if we don't pay attention to what we need to pay attention to, the stuff that will grow, the only stuff that, that grows without attention, without intentionality, is the stuff that we don't want. We will reap what we sow. We will reap more than we sow. We will reap after we sow. And I believe that God invites us to a life of purpose, peace, meaning. But it's a journey. Every, almost every parable, every story throughout the New Testament that talks about our relationship with God would use an agricultural example or, or something that speaks to a journey. A process. And so don't be discouraged. The only person that wins, the only person that is filled with joy when you give up is your enemy. Remember that statement? Discouragement is the anesthesia that the devil uses to numb you so that he can rip into your chest and pull your heart out. Discouragement can numb us. Discouragement can anesthetize us and leave us vulnerable to having God's will, God's purposes stolen away. Let's fight back. Let's fight back against a culture that says there's a shortcut, there's a quick and easy route, there's just, hey, here are a couple of life hacks. Uh, like the things that matter most take a little more than hacking. It takes... Sewing. Agreed? Come on.